Hey everybody, it is Chris with the Running Rogue Podcast coming to you from Austin, Texas. I've got Steve joining me from Buena Vista, Colorado. Hey Steve. Hello podcast world. He's coming, coming to me across the bandwidth as he spends a little bit of time in Colorado at the moment in cooler temperatures for sure. Than we have. I, had, I had on uh, half tights, which for you I know is pretty much all the time. <laughs> But I'm wearing half tights and a long sleeve shirt, and it was probably about 45 degrees when I went out for my run this morning. So uh, I'm jealous. Beautiful, beautiful temperature. So, so today's episode will be a special episode. We'll be releasing midweek to do a proper recap of the IAAF World Championships, which ended about 10 days ago as we record this. We've had plenty of time to digest the results. And... I think most people would agree in saying this was a crazy world championships in a lot of ways. Lots of wacky results. Some things you might expect, some things that we didn't expect. Certain events like the men's 800 where it was a complete and total crapshoot. And so anyway, so lots to talk about. Lots of great American performances to talk about. So we are going to dive in and run through this. In addition to, of course, giving you updates on who won at least this version of the Track Geek competition between Steve and I. Before we jump into covering kind of the full breadth of the distance events on the Worlds, I wanted to start by paying homage to a sprinter, which we always talk a little bit about, but we don't often give you a bunch of details on the sprints because we've got plenty to cover on the distance events. But there's one athlete in particular that we have to mention in the sprint events that we probably haven't talked enough about and maybe I think generally doesn't get enough attention for her contributions to American track and field. We've got to talk about Allison Felix, U.S. 200 and 400 meter runner. She set the record at this world championships with now 16 total world championship medals going all the way back to 2005 in Helsinki when she was, I believe, 18 or 19 years of age. She is now 31. Has 16 medals, 11 golds, and is now the record holder for the most, mer- most medals of any athlete at the World Championships. That to go with her nine Olympic medals. And so that alone, just the medal hall is impressive on its own. But I think there's a couple of nuances that I wanted to point out. And then, Steve, I'd love to get your perspective on these. The first is that is just simply her range. You know, she's competed at the 200 and the 400 competitively. She's also qualified in the 100 at times at, at, and competed in the 100 at times at U.S. events. And she runs in the 4x1 and the 4x4. So her ability to work from the 100 to the 400 and be competitive and to contribute to relay teams is just unbelievable. Oftentimes you'll get athletes that can do 1, one to 200 or 200 to 400 but to be able to to run all three and be competitive, whether you you know whether it's the relays or not, is just is just unbelievable. The second point I want to make is her contribution to the American medal halls is just out of this world. If you look at the six championships where she's had medals, and look at her percentage of the U.S. medal hall, it's it's unbelievable. The U.S. has had 147 total medals in the World Championships where she's medaled. Since 2005, she accounts for 11% of those medals. And then if you look at gold medals, she has 11 of the 16. And the U.S. has 66 in these world championships where she's medaled. 
17% of our gold medal haul comes from Allison Felix. And so it's just, it's unbelievable. And she does it with such class and professionalism. And she seems like an athlete that's doing it the right way that we can all believe in. So got to give props to Allison Felix before we jump in. Steve, what do you think? Well, you know, I mean, what she's done on the track is absolutely astounding. Um, I guess what one thing I have, I have a sort of a criticism of her in one in one area, but then also I'll I'll sort of backpedal and um, and then talk a lot more about her the positives with her. But for my first criticism is that she could be a bolt type character in American sprinting in American track and field and could be a person that that in a lot of ways could be on a sports center you know you and I talk about this Chris all the time how our sport needs heroes it needs um battlers it needs faces for the young and the old to look at and say those are my people I'm proud to wave the American flag I'm proud I want to see this sport and she's in the sexiest supposed sexiest events um on the track mostly because of American shorts short attention span they can't watch a 10k so they have to watch a a, a 100 or a 200 and um yet she's not very gregarious she's not playing to the crowds she's not trying to get the sport lifted in a lot of ways and i think we've we as a, we as over the last 20 i mean last 15 years is or or 12 years of her competitive career we haven't really gotten to see we have the, the sport hasn't gotten a bump from Allison Felix from the standpoint of media coverage and the word out there. But um, this is my backpedal portion. However, many of the young women and men, especially young women who are in the sport today, are in the sport because they look up to Allison Felix. And I think I read an article or an interview with her at some point in time where she basically said to the effect, you know, that's not my game. I think they were comparing her to, to, to Usain Bolt. And it may have been really after this championships, you know. People trying to say, um, you know, how do you feel? You've you've won more medals, you've done more, and she's like, well, that's just not my game. I don't. I'm not playing to the crowds. I'm not trying to get people's attention. But what I really, really care about is getting young people excited um, and uh, getting young people involved in the sport. So on one end, I feel like opportunity missed, but on the other, who knows if this amazing resurgence we're seeing throughout the American track and field world. Um, is is partly responsible she's partly responsible for all of that you know and the impact that she's made on the youth running in this country um and you know she's done it really quietly she's done it really um but she's also had a good face you know i honestly think she didn't have a great meet she kind of got her butt kicked in the four in the 400 she got beat by her own teammate uh, phyllis francis she didn't have the kick we were expecting at the finish of that 400 but then she was able to compose herself say it's not about that i got a medal I didn't get exactly what I wanted, but I was able to help my team. And, you know, she's making the boat all, the, you know, she's helping everyone produce better and to feel better about it. So I'm a little conflicted about it. I kind of went all over everywhere there. But I just feel like we do need to tip our hat to her and we do need to give her the credit that's due. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I want to I want to come away with is say, yeah, there were some opportunities. I think there are some opportunities for her, but it's not her game. That's not how she rolls. And it's not how she plays to the media. You know, so um, that's sort of where I think about it. Um, I mean, I wonder if you ask Allison Felix face down, sat her face to face and said, hey, if you could give up the two gold, the two golds in the four by one and the four by four, and you could have one gold in the 400, what would she say? My guess is she would say she'd take the four by the take the 400 meter gold medal over the other two. 
But that's not the way, but she probably wouldn't say it that way to the crowds. You know what I mean? She wouldn't say it to the world. But I do think we haven't seen the last of her, right? I mean, we've got 2019 for sure. I think she'll run that. And I think she said that she's going to run 2020 Olympics. So we've got plenty of opportunity to coordinate her. And maybe she'll step out a little bit more and take a little more of the lead role, um, at least with with what opportunities we have. I've heard interviews with her. She's incredibly well-spoken. She's really smart about what she talks about with the event. She's really, she's really great talking to other people about it. So I'm interested to see what the next three years plays out for her in her running career. I agree. I would like to see more personality. And I think she has all the personality elements in the interviews that I've seen of her where she's more relaxed and not in championship mode. She's got the personality. It's just, she doesn't necessarily give herself a lot of opportunity to show people that. So that's a great point. That's a great point though. I want to, I want to, I hadn't thought about that, Chris, that, that she, we think about the way Bolt handles himself at these, at these games and at the world championships. And he's, that's his nature to play the jokester and the, and the champ in his game face mode. Right. And Allison's game face mode is quiet, introspective, get ready to roll. And she's not able to take that hat off. And, why should we ask her to? You know what I mean? I, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Anyway. Yeah. So I'd like to see her, I guess, just take more opportunities outside of these moments when she's doing the business thing to just let people show her person, see her personality. So yes. that's coming. But hats off to Allison Felix. Without without her, who knows where we would be medal-wise. And she, so definitely has, she has definitely brought professionalism to the relays that is much needed sometimes for our sprinters so that's our quick bit on sprinting we might cover a few things at the end as it relates to bolt and gatlin and all that stuff but we'll stick to our main bread and butter the distance events before we dive into the event by event recaps we've got a i've got a i guess bow down to you steve you won our competition head to head on picks 39 points to 33 and a half points although i will point out that you actually won the 10K, and then I won the other five events combined. But, you know, I dug myself too deep a hole there. And if you, if I had made a few little changes, like picking Farah to win the 10K and having Alma Zayana on the podium at all for either of the 10K or the 5K, then I would have been right there in the mix. So it was much closer than perhaps the final score indicates because I dug a big nine-point hole after the 10K. But... Hats off, Steve. You you did it this time. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, we 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 could both go back and forth though about little things that we could have changed and little. You know, it, it it's so much fun to do that. I think that's what with the fun of that. Even though the wild card and the first American don't give us and bear very many points, they allow us. But they allow people to see that we actually know what we're talking about. You know what I mean? And I think we did a really good job, Chris. I don't know. I didn't look at uh, Let's Run's results for the people that won. The, their, you know, they do their competition too. They right. go all the way through, though. They do all events. We only do the, the only we only do the distances. But I think we did really, really well. I mean, given we had all the major players in almost every case, you missed Ayana, um, and then you didn't go with Mo. But my Ayana was really the only one that you sort of said, "I'm just not going to pick her." And I think you kind of did it because you don't like her, and you're about it. <laughs> and so, and right. I wasn't about to make those decisions that way. This time, I tried to win instead of trying to uh, to make picks. But you know, it 
It, we, it, look at the men's 5K, which we'll talk about. We had all the players. We just had them in the different places. You know what I mean? And yeah. and yeah. and it wasn't that wasn't a foregone conclusion the way that race went. So anyway, dear listeners, Chris and I killed it. We did really well. And I yes, I got the win, but mostly as of, of course Chris said, I was so far ahead after the 10K. I think Chris was ready to quit after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that at least I made you sweat a little bit going into the final day. But, yes, you uh, did. but you did. If you look at the stats, you picked 64% of the podium finishers, which to me is really impressive, especially when you have a lot of variables going into these global championships and rounds. You know, like you struck out in the men's eight, and I, totally I nearly did as, as well. And so if you take, you know, some of those where there was a little bit more chaos out of it, then, then the numbers look even better. But you were 64% of podium picks. I was 50% of podium picks, not quite as good there. I picked three gold medalists. You had uh, two locked down there in the 10K. And, but yeah, overall, we did, we did pretty well. Um, I will say our biggest mistake, frankly, came in picking for the U.S. women. They, yes. they brought home four medals, and I, I don't think we gave any medals out in our picks to us women so no we didn't so our our biggest uh i would say knock would be that we way underestimated american women and as we'll talk about it the world though chris we're not alone (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's true but there will be lots to talk about as we go through our event recaps on on those performances because man i was uh tearing up in a few of those with some of the results so um Let's dive in. Let's talk event by event. We'll go in the same order that we did on the preview show, same order as the events played out in the meet itself. We'll start with the 10K where you pretty much nailed it um, on on the women for sure. You nailed it, you know, top three, 100%. And then the men, you had one, two, locked down. Let's start with the men's side. I will say, you know, I'll make one comment and then kind of throw it to you for your impressions on the men's race. Obviously, Mo Farah kind of went out the right way with the 10K victory, and and I underestimated him there. He was definitely sharper than we expected coming into this. And this, I would say, was probably the biggest test he had because the Ugandans actually took it to him and were working a little bit of team tactics with Cheptegi and his countryman who was up there with him early on. And this was an extremely fast race. Mo was pushed to the limits and he delivered. So what are your reactions on the men's 10K? Well, my first reaction is Joshua Cheptege is going to be amazing. And everyone needs to know his name. He, in my opinion, I see no one who's going to be in a position to try to overcome what he's able to do. He ran 26.49 for a silver medal against the someone who many will call the greatest of all time in the men's five in the men's 10,000. I, I think Mo probably deserves the greatest of all time in the 10. I'm, 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 it's hard for me to pick another person after what he's been able to do, but he almost beat him. He's got silver at in the fastest championship 10,000 meters of any that I've ever seen by far. And he's only 20 years old. It's crazy. So the first thing I want to say is remember that name, Joshua Cheptegi. When you look at him run too, Chris, he reminds me of Ilya Kipchoge. I've gone back now over the last 
year and a half or so and have been watching much more of the old video footage of, of, of Kipchoge, Ilya Kipchoge, the current best in the world in the marathon, who I think soon will be breaking the world record, who may go under two hours. It's remarkable watching their mechanics and the way that they run and the way that they race, their race style is very, very similar. So I think Cheptegi has a real chance to be a sort of Ilya Kipchoge character who does great in the five and the 10, moves up to the marathon at a point in time when it makes sense for him. And his rate, he is unbelievably courageous. He's got more guts than anybody else I've ever seen racing. I'm ex super excited to see what he's able to do over the next couple of years. I, I love the guts in this one because he did all the work really early on, setting that fast tempo from the beginning. And over that last 600, Chris, they, you know, they, when, when Mo took it and kept winding it up, Cheptegi made me really nervous. That was one, this is one of the few races I watched live as it was happening. And so I was like, what's going on here? What's he, he's going to go out the back. And he slipped out the back. They had four guys or five guys. There was 600 to go. But all he was doing was basically said, okay, I did everything I could possibly do to get this guy crushed. Let's let him play his game. Let's see if I can come off that turn. The last 200. And that by the time they got to the last 200, he was there ready to go and 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 almost got there you know what i mean it was just mo yep. just had too much it was just anyway that i i am i am incredibly excited about that the other thing i want to say about this and i'm going to go down your road chris i'm going to get into a little drug stuff okay because we're going to got going to get a chance to talk too much about the treatment that the you know that the british fans gave to to gatlin and i know everybody in the world is hates hates gatlin but gatlin paid his dues and he 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 broke the rules but then he came back supposedly he's clean i don't know if he's clean or not but i don't know if any of those guys are clean or not but he's back in the game trying to do it the right way he wrote a letter of apology to the iwf he's done everything he can and the bbc i mean the uh british fans just absolutely booed him to boo a competitor who wins a world championship is shameful in my opinion but the biggest issue is they are refusing to ask questions about mo farah and in my opinion, he is at least, given the situation that's going on with Alberto, he is in at least the same position that Gatlin is. He hasn't gotten busted, right? But we all know there's a question mark there. And for them to just, I watched a lot of the BBC, so that's probably why I'm a little bit on this tip. It just made me really mad. You know what I mean? Mo is yep. clean as far as we know, but we know, you and I both know, we're not sure of that. And just the way they treated Gatlin over and not asking the questions about Mo. That's a, that's a, that, that bothers me a lot. So anyway, back to the 10 K. Um, <laughs> it's fair, by the way, Mo would say he gets unfair treatment from the media. So, you know, and I, and that's part, part of my issues with him is he gets angry and, and starts kind of getting combative when he gets these questions. It's like, come on, man, just answer the questions. If you're clean, you have nothing to hide. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, what, what the UK, you know, the, 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 um, UK athletics, chief guy you know he says i've looked mo fair in the eye and i'm convinced he's not a cheat whatever you're looking with one eye dude that's what that's my opinion you see what you want to see the other thing about the 10k joffrey camor dude i'm not picking him again i mean he's a great runner he's probably one of the best time he'll probably run really really fast but dude he just shat the bed again he's done it over and over again i'm not picking him anymore you know what i mean i just don't think he's He's got it. Anyway, that's my I, – I, I, he should have won. He had a chance to win that race. He didn't do any work. He just sat back there, and then he didn't do anything. You know what I mean? So Yeah, well, um, I would say in general, those from that did well at World Cross, I mean, Cheptegi kind of fell back there because he went out too hard. But Kim Rohrer and, and some of the, the women that we had picked that were high on the World Cross list did not deliver on the track. And I think part of the recognition here for me as someone who makes these picks is that 
these strength-based cross-country runners don't always translate to a track that's going to have a, f- a fast finish. Well, they can if they don't have Mo. You know what I mean? So on the women's side, it didn't happen in the 10, as we'll talk about, because they were dealing with the greatest 10,000 meters runner in the women's side. And it may be arguably at this point, depending on what she does at the next Olympic Games, whether she's clean or not, what she did at the Olympics and Rio and what she just did at this 10K, absolutely unbelievable you know um and that and and ayana didn't run world cross i don't know that ayana ever will she's a absolutely a track runner so you're right the the, the cross country folks didn't now cheptegi though i mean he did more than you know we talked about this in our in our world cross post race cheptegi didn't he he didn't win because he went so hard <laughs> you know i mean he was winning by 20 25 seconds in a cross country race that's just unheard right. of and he cratered, but it's also a peaking thing too. It's not just the ability to run on the, on the, on the cross course. That's a tough double peak. It's, you know, a February, March race. And then another peak again in August, it's exceedingly difficult. Track runners have a little bit of an easier time if they're, you know, 800, 1500 meter runners doing that. But there's a reason why there's nothing further than the 5k and whoever wins the 5k in the world, in the U S I mean, the world indoor championships is usually not a major player in the, in the outdoor world championships. So just those things to pay attention to, but yep. So yeah, this one for me at the front, it was, it was all about Teptegi, as you say, kind of being coordinating himself as the next, and really he gave Mo his best chance, and Mo just delivered because he's, as you said, maybe the greatest 10k, 10,000 meter runner of all time. As we look back in the results, I think there's a couple names we got to mention because everybody in this race ran fast times thanks to the Ugandans who took it out hard. Mo Ahmed, who trains with Schumacher's group, he's actually Canadian, set a national record in 27.02, which is legit, and that's a name to watch for those that at least follow training groups in the U.S. here. And then Kip Tuchir set a personal best in 27.07, which, you know, he was ninth, you know, not really in the mix because he's almost 20 seconds behind Farah. But, but that's a good sign for American runners that you've got a guy in the top 10 there running 2708. Yes, I agree 100%. And, you know, as these race, as one, everything's going to change when Mo's gone, you know, it, and there's going to be a lot more, diff, there'll be a lot different tactics pulled in, I think. I'm excited to watch. The next world championship, you know, we've got a year wait, the next world championship, um, and then the, and then going into the Olympics as well. I'm super excited to see how that plays out. And, you know, Mohamed, that was a great, amazing race for him. And that's, that's the second. If you look at the Rio games, he was still there with 600 meters to go, maybe even 400 meters to go if I'm remembering correctly. So that's another guy to keep an eye on in terms of, in terms of how, how really running well. And then if you look further down, the other American's career – he wasn't in there. He finished 13th, 2020, but he, 27, 20, but he also set a personal best. Hassan Mead also set a personal best, 27, 32. So the Americans still ran really well, even though they weren't in the mix at the end. And as you say, once fair is gone, everything changes. Tactics will be completely different and you never know. So hopefully with those three Americans performing well, it's a sign that we're going to, Besides Rupp, we're getting our kind of 10,000-meter depth back a little bit. All right, let's switch gears to the women's 10,000. This is one where, you know, I'm going to have to 
bite my tongue maybe, but you know, it was obviously the Ayana show. Started relatively slowly for the first thousand meters. And then she ran probably, you know, aside from her Olympic performance, the greatest 9,000 meters ever by a female on this planet to close this race in her last 5K being faster than the 5K she ran later in the meet for the 5K final to get to 5K silver. So Ayana blew everybody away after a relatively slow start. She lapped nearly everybody in the field. And... You know, for me, I'm skeptical because she, she doesn't do anything all year. The last time we saw her was in Rio at getting bronze in the 5K. Does no other meets, shows up, and then does this. It's just too unbelievable. But to me, it's part and parcel for somebody who's playing the dirty game and worried about getting tested at, at global meets and so doesn't show up until it matters when she's had time to lay off the juice. That's the skeptic in me speaking. What are your impressions of Ayana's race here, Steve? Well, I think it's the greatest 10,000 meter race ever run. I mean, I thought that I would have said that at her Olympic, at, at the uh, Olympics, you know, I mean, she ran so fast at the Olympics, but I don't know for her to do it twice again, to win, to lapping almost the entire field. I mean, she lapped everybody, but the last four, but the, but the last, the other next four finishers or next three finishers. Right. Um, yeah. She, she won by 46 seconds or 47 seconds. I can't remember exactly. Um, you know, and it, and it went out slow. She ran 30-16 and it went out slow. I, regardless of whether she's on drugs or not, I still think it's one of the greatest, most amazing run 10,000 meters I've ever seen. I watched this one live as well. I was so – I was um, – and, and I think the main things that we need that we need to talk about for our listeners, Chris, in terms of what's going on with Ayana and maybe – a little bit what's going on with, with the Ethiopians altogether. The Ethiopians have a really tight ship. They, um, those people who are within on their team outside of, um, uh, the Genzebi Dababa, one of the Dababa sisters trains outside of that cycle, but the rest of them all train within sort of the, the, the known Ethiopian system. And, uh, they, you know, they've got it, they run a really tight ship, especially compared to the Kenyans who it's all over everywhere. It's, it's dog eat dog group against group. They, their fed, their national federation is terrible about selecting appropriately. You know, they, it's messy and dirty and hard to figure out what the heck is going on. The Ethiopians, they keep a really tight ship and really clean. Um, and so, you know, I think that maybe Molly Huddle is the one who said it the best. And she says, they get away with a lot and we don't know enough. I think it was right after this race where that that or maybe right before the race where that Guardian article came out. Was it in the Guardian, Chris, where they talked about the ease with which it is in Ethiopia to get EPO? It's literally a place right across from their national track stadium where you can yeah. walk in and get EPO. So yes, there is this heavy cloud sitting over Ayana that needs to be looked at. But it doesn't to me, it doesn't change the fact that it's super that this is a ten thousand meter specialist. For someone to be able to run a 5K faster in their last half or during the during a 10K than they even run in the five, regardless of who they are, says that the kind of runner she is is just a rhythm-based runner who's able to get into a role, run by herself, and just go. There are way less tactics, way less shifting. Once she decided to go, she went, and it was over. And so, you know, she didn't do so well in the five, and the reason is is because she wasn't able to take the race out and run away from everybody, you know? So now – 
At the same time, I'm really interested to hear your take on Tiranesh Dababa. How did you feel about her race and where do you think she sits in the context of a doping scenario? Well, I mean, I think I would I would put her in the same camp with her sister, even though they train with different coaches. I think all the Ethiopians are suspect simply because they don't have the testing protocols to do out of competition testing when they're in country that you would have in the US or somewhere else. So essentially when they're in country they've they've got carte blanche to do whatever they want. And because of some of the you know, the pastimes, I'm just skeptical, especially with with Taranesh's marathon, recent marathon times. So I would put her in the same camp. I was surprised to see her so demolished in this race. You know, I expected her to be much more competitive or to at least choose to go with Ayana once Ayana took it. And so the fact that she almost nearly got lapped with the other Kenyans was shocking to me. Um, so it tells me that, you know, Ayana is just on another league, doping or not. And that perhaps alone, as you say, is impressive. I was, but I was surprised with her as well as with Tirop and Cheptai and the Kenyans. I'm surprised they let her get such a long leash and maybe they just knew she was on a different plane and decided to, to race for silver from early on. But that surprised me overall that she didn't have at least a little bit of company, especially because at Rio, she did at least for a little while as yeah, those athletes. Was. I heard. I heard that she also, uh, she's running Chicago from what I hear. So, you know, she ran a, a marathon in the spring. She's run the world championships, 10 gets silver. And maybe she knew what Ayana, what, what others didn't quite know yet about Ayana and was looking at it from a standpoint of let's get the best 10 K workout I could possibly get in right now. So um, I think that if anybody there, she knew the Kenyans should have gone with her. I think if they wanted any chance, but who knows what their Federation said to them about their racing, you know? So um, Ayana was on another level. Um, she, I, I almost think like, it's like, you know, I was a, I don't think you were a track fan. Um, you know, in 93, when the, when the Chinese, um, broke, sub, went sub 30 at the world championship, obviously we now know our, we're completely drugged up, but they ran away in a style that's very similar to the way Ayana did. And it's just like game over. It's like, wow, this is what the human body can do. And, um, we could say for sure with Ayana, it's not testosterone. <laughs> right. For sure. Now, the, mo the most <laughs> impressive result to me, now I don't know Susan Krumans from the Netherlands at all, but Emily Enfeld's personal best to run 31.20 in this race was the most impressive. Yeah, she was over a minute slower than Ayana, who won, but to be able to run that personal best off such a slow start, I think she closed in just over 15 flat, 15 flat high. So like 1508 or something to get her personal best. So she had a massive negative split and she did it after getting gapped a little bit from, I guess it would have been the third pack on the yep. track. And, and so had to kind of fight back and fight her demons. But if you're in a race like this, where you're essentially time trialing, everybody's time trialing, everybody's on the limit. And yeah, there's some packs, but they're not really practically giving you a lot of energy to fall back from that and then regain that pack and then ultimately beat her American cohorts that were ahead of her for a lot of the race is just shows huge guts to be able to close that way. And yeah, it wasn't the bronze she got in the last world championships, but in a lot of ways it was 
more impressive race for her than than when she got the bronze. Yeah, she, you know, she. I thought they. I thought the Americans. It was disappointing to see Molly huddle where she was, but I think it's it's at this point we kind of now Molly can control a U.S. race, but in the world race, our Americans were up and ready. I think both Emily and I mean they were all pretty close together, weren't they, Chris? They were not that far. Yeah, so far. they were sixth, eighth, and ninth. In right. infield thirty one twenty and then huddle thirty one twenty four thirty one twenty six for Sisson. Yeah. And so all right together, we besides Kenya, we're the only country that had three in the top ten. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so Susan Crummins, her name she when her that's that's her married name. She's she was Susan Kiken. I don't know if you remember way back in the day, but uh, I was at Florida this, State. I was at this yeah, she ran for Florida State and I was at the at the uh, NCAA championship when she was a fifth year senior. And Jenny, at at the time, Behringer was a fifth year senior, and I don't know. Remember if Susan won the race? I'm not sure if she won it, but I know that she's the reason why Sue, why why uh, Jenny had such a terrible race, one of the worst races Jenny's ever run in her life. Susan was a 1500 meter specialist all through college, um, and only since you know she went back home to the Netherlands and has she moved up to the ten, five and ten. And she's you know she's got those wheels, and as you could see over that last 400. She and Emily took it to the rest of the pack. I mean, I think they beat them over the last 400 meters by four to six seconds. I mean, they just jetted away from them. So Yeah, and they I'm caught Chep I'm really looking forward to a really fully healthy Emily Enfield coming up. I think she's got a real chance to be a medalist again. And I'm also excited about Emily Sisson. If she gets her fitness in a different spot and she's able to – she's not a kicker, but she's got to go with one of those packs. If she can get fit enough to go with one of those packs – Maybe she can sneak a medal like like Emily did last year. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see or two years ago. So. Well, and it also bodes well as we've talked before about Emily Sisson about moving up to the marathon. It bodes well for that because she's got the speed. Pair that with strength and actually working on the marathon distance. She's going to be one to watch for the trials probably in 2020 for the marathon distance potentially, depending on how she progresses. And Huddle, it was interesting. You know, I watched a couple of her interviews, both after this and after the 5K, and it was almost like she came in, for whatever reason, tired in this meet, and maybe just a little bit overcooked, and clearly looking ahead already to the marathon. She said she doesn't have a fall marathon, but she will do one in the spring, but this was her last global track meet, and she said she'll compete at U.S. Nationals, potentially, maybe here and there on the track, but generally she's moving up. And I think it's it's probably time for that. But, you know, in some ways it's it's sad that she wasn't able to put maybe her best foot forward because she just seemed a little bit tired, a little bit maybe not into it for whatever reason with this meet. But, you know, we got to give hats off to Molly Huddle as she kind of retires from global championships on the track because she has been been amazing. It's too bad she didn't get the medal in 2015 because she would have been deserving for sure. Yeah, you know, honestly, she... She is one of the reasons why America is in the position that it is. She was a leader. She was. She came at the end. You know, she was running when we were running when we were running terrible. And now everyone now, as we look at our world championships, especially on the women's side, how incredibly well our women per- performed at the world championships. You look at it. You say Molly Huddle is a part of all that. She's definitely a part of that, especially as she's as she's in a training group with Emily Sisson and some others and helping them develop and get better and better and creating the next wave of a great American distance runners. So hats off to Molly for that, for sure. For sure. And it'll be interesting to see what she does 
with the marathon once she focuses on it. We'll see what she does in the spring. My 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 hope would be that we see her at Boston next year, but we will see. All right, let's turn to the fifth. Uh, sorry, to the marathon. Next on our list, we'll go through the men's first because I think there's less to talk about there, and then obviously talk about the amazing result from Amy Craig getting the bronze on the women's side. On the men's side, well, in generally, I will say that this was a good day for Boston marathoners at the World Championships. You had Karui, who won Boston, winning the men's marathon, and then Rose Chalimo and Edna Kiplagat, who got 1-2 in, in a different order at Boston, were leading on the women's side. So those Boston ra- racers showed up well and showed their, their toughness here at the World Champs. On the men's side, there's not a lot to say other than the fact that Karui, clean or not, is definitely the heir to some throne as it relates to the men's marathon. He's he's a young guy, I think still 24 years old, and and his ability to close both at Boston and in this World Champs where he took it at the World Champs basically from 35-7K to go uh, and just ran away from Tola like like he was standing still once he decided to make his move shows you that Karui is a guy to be reckoned with and it'll be interesting to see what happens when he faces off in a time trial format with Pacers against somebody like Kipchoge maybe down the road. Yeah, I'm interested to see if he is I don't know if he's a time trialer. We'll see. You know, if you look at if you look at the marathon, um the only time trialer we've seen be able to compete also at global championships is um, Kipchoge. Over the years, we've not seen any of those other runners who are world record holders who have run super fast, even medal. You know, and and the marathon by all for all for every all our listeners to know, I mean there are so many money opportunities when you run the world championships. Especially, you are totally giving up on serious money bank by making that decision. So. You know, there's a reason why some of them do, but I also think honestly, there's just they're cut from a different cloth. I I said this to you, Chris, in our text message thread after this race was over. I said I'll never vote, I'll never, I'll never choose against Karui again. Um, I watched him at the Olympics. I mean, at the at Boston, and I was just so incredibly impressed um, that. I, and then I didn't pick him because I just thought he would be tired, and he looked almost better at the World Championships, don't you think? I mean, he looked almost better to me. So at so smooth. He definitely had gears left. At the end, like if anybody had come back on him, he it's almost like we haven't seen what he's really capable of doing yet. Which I agree with you in a time trial situation, what will happen with that? But I do think he's a championship runner. And um, the other thing I want to say is, hey, Galen Rupp. I mean, Galen Rupp ran this guy pretty hard for a long while, and then came back on him at the end, right? So I know Galen didn't choose the world champs this year, but I'm I'm excited for Galen because. Karui is obviously the absolute real deal. He was a complete unknown before Boston. Now he's an absolute known. And, you know, Rupp ran really well um, against him at Boston. So, you know, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, we got this race pretty right. You know what I mean? We, we knew we, the, the, the pundits had, the, had it right. And Tola looked really good for a long part of that race. I thought Tola might have had a chance to win it, you know. But Karui just, I mean... I don't think I think he put like 50 meters on Tola at one point in like seconds. Yeah, know? once he decided once once he decided to go, it was over. Yes, you yes. know, but you know Tola had gapped him a little bit, but he kind of let him go until that 35k or so point caught him again, and then it was just it was over. It was like gone. Yes, 
And, you know, and he ended up winning by over a minute, you know, nearly a minute and 20 seconds, basically putting that entire gap in the final 7K. So, you know, know, that's unreal. Also, also, you know, we got to take, we got to tip our hat to you because your wild card in this may have been one of the best wild card plays in the whole world championships, right? It's true. It's yeah. true. I did pretty well with Colin Hawkins getting a personal best in low 2010 or two 210s. Yeah, he wasn't in the race. Now that's the only thing that's disappointing for me. For the most part he kind of ran ran guys down at the end to to sneak into fourth, but he ended up only 20, you know, 28 seconds out of 26 seconds out of third out of third place. Yeah, I disagree yeah. with your saying about the way he ran and not going with him. That's, you know, that that's a that's an incredibly intelligent strategy. You know, his dad is his coach, and I'm sure they had a plan that says, "We'll see. Let's let all the shrapnel. Let's let them go up there. Let the bombs get set. See what the shrapnel." No, I think it was a smart play for him. I'm just saying it was disappointing that he didn't get a lot of TV time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that because is- I, you know, I think I would have liked to see him in the mix a little bit, but as a fan, but I agree. He ran the best race he could run. And I think running people down at the end on a slightly warm day in London was probably the best strategy for him, especially knowing that those guys up front can shift gears like crazy. But, but to me, that was the most interesting story. And if he had slipped onto the podium, that might've been my biggest wildcard pick of the, of yeah. the, uh, well, of the get, meet for I sure. I my hat to you on that call. I thought he might produce, but I didn't know. I mean, you know, he's and he's a real, he's a young marathoner, so lots of, lots of exciting things for him in the coming years. We'll see. But you mentioned you mentioned Rupp. I think, you know, he's he's racing Chicago. With a and that race now is different. It used to be a pace race. Now they don't do pacers in Chicago, but it's flat and fast. So it'll be interesting to see what Rupp does there. But. But this one, you know, going to the American side, we had Kibet, who you picked first first American. I I, uh, I missed it with Bobby Curtis, but you had a Kibet first American. He finished sixteenth in about two fifteen. You know, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, Kibet's a relatively new marathoner, at least at least competing at the global level. So we'll see what he has. But two fifteen isn't anything to get too excited about. No, I, I, everybody wanted I, I read po- after that race, people tipping their, tipping their hat to Bobby Curtis and saying the great things about him. I don't know. That guy is one of the most talented athletes who's done the least with that talent. I'm not his coach, so I can't really, you know, it's not saying it's a little bit out of disingenuous for me to say that, but I can say as a fan for sure, Bobby Curtis is a bomb. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I think he should have run so much better. He's a bust. So much better. So many more opportunities to have done that. And the U.S. USATF has given him ample opportunities. He's been at a lot of world championships. So he's been at world world. He's been at world half marathon championships, world world marathon championships. So I don't know. I, I'm not a. I'm not. I think that guy has so much talent, and he should be a much better marathoner than he is. I mean, he's a big guy, but I still think he. I don't know. I, I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not tooting his horn. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, he should, he should have been a guy who was like a Jared Ward or a Brian Sell. Absolutely. Who, yes. You know, may not be the best in the world, but could stick his nose in it and get a top five finish at a major marathon or, you know, make an Olympic team and do, you know, top 10 or top 12. 
And so it is disappointing. But he has said this was his last race. So he's he's now retired from the sport, probably with some regrets about what he was able to accomplish. And we'll see what we get from Cabet over time. I'm not convinced that he's going to be anybody who can compete with a Rupp, uh, for example, or even a Ritz if he gets back his game, you know, running with the Hansons. So we'll see. I think the biggest question for the U.S. men is, is other than Rupp, it's, it's a pretty thin group now. It's probably our least depth, you know, of all the events is in the, the marathon. So there's, there's a couple spots on that 2020 U.S. trials podium that I think are up for grabs depending on who wants to get it. So we'll, uh, we will see. That, one of those former canyons will be in there. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll be one, two, three. But anyway, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> we'll see. All right, so that's the men's side. The women's side, I think much more to talk about. We had an absolutely unbelievable result from Amy Hastings Crag, who quite nearly ran down Edna Kiplagat to snag the silver at the very end. But this one went one, two, three. Chalimo, who got second in Boston, but first here, Kiplagat got the silver, narrowly edging Crag at the end who got the bronze in a really pretty close race. I mean, this was together with a lot of women in play all the way until about 5K to go when Amy decided to take the pace. <laughs> and and then people started popping off once she started putting pressure at the front. Then she got gapped by by Chalimo and Kimpla got and, and the, the Kenyan got, that got fourth to the point where she said she had a 20, 30 meter gap to that bronze plate, bronze medal with a mile to go or so, and then just brought it home with one of the gutsiest finishes I've seen in a race from an American at this level. And, you know, just to see the way she was turning herself inside out over that last half mile was just unbelievable, extremely inspiring, and a big result, but a big result for all, really all three of these women. Well, four women. I mean, there were four women. I mean, the one woman, Coloma Daniel, doesn't get, she, she gets fourth place only 10 seconds off the win. 10 seconds in a marathon. That's crazy. That That yeah. is just mind-boggling the way that race played out. And um, Amy, I you know what, Chris, you and I were really disappointed when we didn't see her at the U.S. Championships because we both picked her. And we were like, what the heck's going on? Why didn't she run? I don't understand. Well, she and her coach, Jerry Schumacher, had a plan, didn't they? Yeah, they did, as he does. Yes, as he does. Unbelievable. Well, result for her and you know i loved that little the little tip of the hat she gave to her coach in the discussion of those last mile or two miles when he was able that she had the ears to hear him give a little bit of you know when when athletes running by you even the marathon you only have two to three seconds to get a word in and he said just the right thing at just the right time that she said later was the difference maker in her being able to stay close close he said to her something to the effect of she she's going to come back and you can get away. You, you can get away from them in the last 800 if you just stay where you are. And she said, OK, I'm just going to follow my coach's plan. And boom, it happened. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's a it's it's you know, we, I'm sure at some point we will be doing a little bit of a discussion in this about the unbelievable meet that Jerry Schumacher had. We don't need to go there right now. We can save that for another topic. But um, it was just really exciting as a coach to hear an athlete say, my coach really helped me at a critical, crucial part of the race. And, um, you know, I think that Craig probably would have gotten third anyway, but 
she still she still had the confidence to know it was going to happen um and 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 follow the plan i thought that was really cool well and just to to be able to close like that with everything on the line it's like you know when i was a kid i played a little bit of basketball soccer lots of different things and so we you know you would be playing pick up basketball with the neighborhood kids and you'd have that kind of simulated moment where you'd count down 30 seconds, games on the line, you know, need that last basket to win. And we would play out those scenarios in the neighborhood, you know, just having fun on the, on the court or do the same with soccer and with a penalty, you know, a big penalty kick or something. And, and so for a runner, like this is kind of that moment where it's like a mile to go at the world championships, the U S hasn't meddled in this event for the women since 83. You're 20 meters back of th- your of your dream, getting a bronze medal of the world champs, and everything is on the line. And to be able to deliver in that moment with she everything on the line, she made so the, cool. She made the move, you know. No, I know, I know. She made awesome. the move. Came back. I mean, it's just like it gives me goosebumps to even think about. It. It's like that's what it's all about, and to be able to deliver so fearlessly is and there's a lot of women you know u.s women that were fearless in this meet that we'll talk about but just un- unbelievable super inspiring and i do think it was cool i saw a tweet where uh infeld was actually on the side of the course cheering at one point right before amy made that break and then you know schumacher being there with about a mile to go where he gave those words of wisdom wisdom i think it's cool to also recognize that you know this is a team sport it's not just one person out there but it wasn't perhaps for her coach being there, for her teammate cheering her on. You know, would she have been able to do the same thing? Maybe. But it certainly helps. So very, very cool. Very inspiring to see. And it's awesome for me to see somebody like Craig in the mix with Kip Lagat, who is arguably right now you know, one of the greatest marathoners in the world, if not the greatest. I do want to say one thing about Edna Kip Lagat in just the sense of, I don't mean this flippantly, um, but... She, it was good to see someone who I have seen so many times not suffer. It seemingly be like completely an epic and utter control of everything that happens. It was nice to see there was a chink in the armor and know that she is actually a human being and not a machine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and she took the lead at one point with a couple miles to go. And then there was that little hill coming, coming back towards the finish and Chalimo got her there and never looked back. Yeah. And Amy almost came, almost ran. Edna down. So, you know, it was a, it was, what a great race. Again, four top, the top four finishers within 10 seconds in a world championship race, just what it's all about. That's what, that's what our sport needs. And even if the whole world is not, even if the United States is not paying attention to it, I know the whole world is, you know, and the rest of the world just knows that they watched a race that was one of the greatest championship races ever run um, in terms of competitiveness, you know, so amazing. Just amazing. All right. So let's switch to the 1500 and we've got to start with the women's race on this one. I, this is one of the races where I picked successfully picked the winner, but perhaps underestimated the silver medalist, Jenny Simpson, as we both did. Faith Kipigon, Jenny Simpson, Caster Semenya, one, two, three. You know, I think this was a race to me of, kicking the right way at the right time and kind of unleashing that kick in the 
in a more graduated fashion. If you looked at Kipigon, Hassan, and Muir, and Kipigon was the only one that was able to really hold it, although she was fading to Simpson at the end. Those dying. three just those three just moved. They made their move too fast and that going into that last lap. I think I saw some images where Muir went from shoulder to shoulder with, with Simpson to five meters ahead in about fifty meters. Yep. So she just kinda like shot out of a gun at the wrong time versus Simpson who had a perfectly controlled graduated kick. I mean the announcers didn't even weren't even mentioning her name as they went into the final hundred. And she kicked almost everybody down in that final hundred, not really moving into silver medal position until the final 15 meters or so. Unbelievable race overall, but it also shows how championship racing is different. You know, this is this race played out so differently than would have a time Chris, trial. And Chris, if you would have, if this race would have finished with 100 meters to go. I would have gotten so far ahead of you, you never would have caught me. Because <laughs> I would have had one, two for sure. You know what I mean? And, and, right. and, and so, but that just shows how these races happen. This is a race that was so much fun to watch. I didn't get to watch this one live. I watched this one later. I knew the results. I was absolutely shocked with 500 meters to go that the results turned out the way they were. But again, it, it's just, it was really cool, this race to me. I'm so happy for Jenny, but Jenny was never running for the gold. Laura Muir went for the gold. Faith Kipyagon went for the gold. Sifan Hassan went for the gold. They went for the gold. And I'm not saying that that's, I'm not trying to downplay Jenny's medal because again, silver medal period, you got to the line where you needed to do it. And she, she was the cagey veteran who figured out how to get where she needed to go. But if those ladies hadn't gone quite so fast at 500, if Laura, if Laura hadn't pushed quite so hard, what would have happened? They would, might not have gotten there. I still think we would have thought that Jenny ran a great race. You know what I mean? But it just shows how how uncertain things can be in terms of the way these races play out. We talked about the 10,000 women and Ayana taking it you know, after the ninth lap and just absolutely crushing people. But this was the complete opposite of that race. You know, And I highly recommend people who are interested in the sport, go back and try to find video footage of this race. It just shows you, number one, the cagingness of, of Jenny Simpson. Number two, how in a short race, you know, four minutes long, how anything can change and how many different things happen. So, so yeah, I mean, the thing with Jenny is this is her fourth global championship medal, tying her in the 1500 at least with the most ever. She just showed how much of a professional she is. And I saw her post-race interview. And, you know, it was another situation where she believed in her plan. You know, she knew that if she unleashed that kick more gradually than everybody else, that they, that she could be in the mix if they came back to her. And that's the way it played out. So you got to give her credit. And she almost got gold, Chris. She was so close. Another 10 meters. (laughs) Another 10 meters and she's there. And so, I mean, four global medals. For a 1500 meter American is unheard of in this day and age. So hats off to Jenny and to be able to do it finishing so strongly is just unbelievable. Now, Faith Kiplegon, who is super young and likely here to stay for a while in terms of potential dominance in this event, that's going to be a name. 
So will Hassan, in my opinion. And I think they'll both be 15-5 runners, too. You know what I mean? I think they're both going to play both ends of that game. Yeah, which we'll talk about the five in a second, but both Hassan and Muir actually had pretty good races there as well, including Hassan, who got her medal later in the meet. Now, we've got to talk Caster Semenya. You thought she was she was playing games with this kind of being on the start list for the 1500, but she delivered. I think she had the fastest final 400 of anybody in that race, but just came from way too far back to get the bronze and couldn't, couldn't quite, you know, get in the mix for gold or silver. What are your impressions of Caster's race? I don't even want to talk about her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I just want to leave it out. I mean, it's to me, honestly, I'm like, it's not even real. You know, I'm watching her and, and I this was the meet, the second meet now that I've watched her through all the rounds and of all of her races. And it's a boy out there. It's a man out there running with women. And it's just I don't even want to talk about it. What I'd prefer to talk about is how my wildcard pick almost pulled off an amazing thing. You know, I mean Laura Muir, I thought, made this race. She was truly the sacrificial lamb in a sense, but she truly went for it. And I, I really was incredibly impressed. You know, there was a point, you know, in this, in this picking these things. I talked with one of our athletes, one of my athletes that it works at, at Flow Track. We were talking about, I said I had maybe was going to pick Muir for the win. And therefore a little, and everybody thought it was crazy. She thought it was crazy. I, I obviously amended that because it wasn't going to happen. But damn if she didn't almost pull that off too. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Caster just rubs me the wrong way, um, probably because I'm such an an ama- I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of uh, Aji Wilson, and I don't think Aji's ever going to get the credit. She's a chance. Aji has a chance to have brought American distance running even higher, and could be an ESPN personality person, even though she's quiet. The way she races and the style of racing, I think she's somebody. And we're never going to get a chance to see that because we've got a man running in the race. So I don't really want. I mean, we'll talk about her with the eight. But I'm not really that interested to talk about it with the 15. I did have the same pre- impression, though, of Caster, particularly in that last 250 of the 800, where it just looked like it was a, a man amongst girls. You know, what, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, so women's 15. But I, you know, incidentally, I have to mention I also had Laura Muir as a wild card. Yes, she did. Knew, knew she would be in the mix. I do think she needs to learn a little bit about how to play her tactics the right way because she seems to be always a bridesmaid in these things. But she's going to get it right at some point. And with her strength, which she proved getting six in the 5K, she's going to be there at some point. She will, she will have her day, I believe. Yes, I agree with you. So that's the women's 15. Hats off to Jenny Simpson doing it again. Let's talk about the men's 15, which in some ways was predictable. In some ways not. You know, we... We lost our, or at least my potential picks champion, Quimoy, went out in the semis, and Centro went out in the prelims, which was surprising to us both. But the final more or less played out the way I think we might expect with, with Managoy and, and Chiriot basically taking the race by the balls and <laughs> never relinquishing it. Yeah, Chariot took the race by the balls, and Managoy just sat behind him like a little punk and took advantage <laughs> of the last hundred. That's another place I could have gotten three points. I didn't get three points, but anyway, <laughs> that's all right. It's okay. Well, he, that's the way we run 15s, and those two guys talked about it in their post-race interview. They were definitely working together. They're teammates and training partners, and they were definitely working together. There's no doubt about that. You could tell. It's shocking to me 
that Chiriot would agree to be a sacrificial lamb. I mean, he basically said that that was my plan. Our plan was for me to lead it from the gun, which he did. And so for those that were looking for a fast 15 and not a kicker's race, you got it with this one, which pretty much meant that it was wide open for the bronze. But, but Chariot, you know, and Managoy true proved that they were the class of the field far and away. And, yeah, and so, but it, so Chariot ran away from Managoy at one of their races. And so I think maybe he thought if I don't go, if I don't go and do this, then I'm not, I may not get silver. And if I do it, I might get gold. But if I don't do it, I don't, I might not even get silver, you know? And so I think in that point, he's like, I've run away from him before. Maybe I'll pull it off. And they just really raced that last 100 with each other. You know, they really did. And Chariot almost held him off, but Managoy was just coming, you know? So there was just no way to stop it. The shock was what happened in third place. I mean, Philip Ingerbrechtson, that was a shock to me, you know? For sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would have picked him anywhere near the podium. And to see Kiprop, maybe that maybe that it wasn't a surprise, but he was in the mix for a bit. Started out in last, which was kind of silly. I think he was thinking that it was going to be a slow kicker's race. He didn't get filled in, obviously, by Chiriot and Manicoy on the plan. Because he started in last, then had to kind of hustle to get up into third. Was in the mix for a bit, but then faded like a cheap suit while everybody else battled for the bronze. What were your impressions of Kiprop's race? He has now said he's going to move up to the five. Oh, he's ho- he's no way he's going to be able to run in the five. When they start shooting, right? I don't think he's going to be competitive in the five. But my feeling about this race was, you know, we don't. I don't think, honestly, in a lot of ways, I'm not sure that he truly gets the credit for how amazing and how incredible he has done at the world championships over the last how many years it's been like eight years or something he has kiprop has won or got medaled at nearly every world championship and so i just think that i don't understand why he ran such a stupid race it didn't make any sense um he wasn't cued into what his teammates were doing but they're not training partners you know and those that Kenyan Federation, that's a it's it's doggy dog there, man. They're, the Americans are way tighter as a distance running nation than the Kenyans are. Um, and so I think he got left out, and then all that work he had to do to get back up made him die. I just think, I think we just saw the last. We've seen the last of Kiprop, but I do want all of our listeners who might not know and haven't have only recently become fans of this sport to go back and watch maybe the two thousand. Um, some of the some of the world championships 2010 and on and watch some of the races that Kiprop ran just a beautiful runner one of the great 1500 meter runners of all time who won't get all the credit who who now as he's lost at his as he was as he's leaving the event he won't get the credit that I think he should that he deserves um but again he just ran a stupid race just a dumb race (laughs) now let's talk Americans for a second so I don't think either of us would have predicted that Johnny Gregoric would have been our representative in this final. He ended up 10th place, not really competitive in the final. But Centro went out in the prelims. It just didn't seem like himself. Probably still battling with injury or coming back from a, from a tough season. And then, sadly, Andrews went out with injury in the semi. I think he could have... Not necessarily been competitive for gold or silver, but he could have been competitive for that bronze. 
had he been able to stay healthy. So it's just disappointing that in this event, we didn't really get the best American foot forward. No, we would have, we should, we should have gotten a medal out of this event, the way that race played out. And I think we've had a central at a hundred percent. Then we would have seen him get in there. Um, and I think that even, and that the way that race played out, you said it exactly, Robbie Andrews, that was a race Robbie could have run well in. So um, the only problem with Robbie is I think he might've stayed too far out of it to get back there where Centro would have been close enough, you know, would have stayed close enough or at least run the second pack, if not the first pack, you know? So um, I do want to, I do want to give Centro some credit though. You know, a lot of other, there, think about the men's 800. Um, the best 800 meter runner in the world bowed out because he was sick or injured. Right. But, but the, the Olympic gold medalist didn't bow out of this one because he was sick or injured. He said, I'm going to, I made this team. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do my best. And I think in a lot of ways, I do want to give Centro some credit for that. Um, it's not like we could have taken our next, our next, our fourth place per person at the world, at the Olympic, at the U S championships and put him in place. I don't even know who it was, but he wasn't going to medal. You know what I mean? And so Craig Ingalls would have been in there. Yeah. I just don't think that, I just think that I think I give, I give, I want, I can't wait to see one year break. Matt Central, which will run well on the European circuit next year. And I think at the world championships, 2019, we will see Centro back and ready to compete and ready to run fast. I just think he ran into a buzzsaw of post-Olympic celebration, then injuries, uh, injuries. And then I think he got sick and it was just, you know, just wasn't to be this year. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not so worried about Central. I think he'll be back. I agree. Yeah, it was just, I think we just ran into a case of bad luck a little bit with the men's 15. Still a strong event for us, potentially giving, getting even stronger with Engels going to the Oregon Project to train with Centro. Yes, I agree. So that'll be interesting once those two have had some time to work together. <clears throat> we will see. All right, so let's go to the steeple. We'll start with the men's because there's more to talk about on the women's side. The men's race, God, so interesting to me. Evan Jager came in as the favorite, first time that he's been a favorite in a championship. He has the Olympic silver medal, so he's been in the mix, but this was the, this was the first time that he had the pressure on his back, and I think he felt it. I think he felt it, and I think it affected him in this race. He got a little bit anxious, started pushing the pace, basically from the halfway point, and then just as a result, rabbited. Capruto and El Bacali and just got out kicked in that last lap. So what do you think of Jager's result? Obviously a bronze in this for an, for the Americans is huge given the Kenyan dominance in the past, but this isn't what we expected from him, not what he expected from himself. Do you think Jager could have won the race? No, I don't think there was any way for him to win that race against Capruto. I think, um, the, I mean, the only way he could have done it, because Capruto basically, the, the before the race, said he wasn't going to let Jaeger win. And I knew there was going to be trouble there. You know what I mean? I just, when I read that, I was like, oh, crap. You know, I'm number one, I don't think Jaeger's the best. He's not a warrior like that. You know, he's a, he's a time, not a time trialist, but he runs, he doesn't do, it doesn't seem to do best with a slug, a slug out. You know what I mean? And I had a feeling it was going to, I thought there would be more Kenyans up there. That was shocking to me how the the other Kenyans just came out the back. Um, but I do think that, I, I don't think that there was any way on that day. I think if Jaeger had run differently, he could have gotten silver. Um, but I don't think Capruto was going to be beaten. And and I don't, I, I mean, I think I've commented to you, Chris, 
after the race. Go back and watch that. I don't know if you did watch the last 400 meters, but it was. Oh, I did. I did. It was just stupid how fast Kipruto got away from them. It was just, you know what I mean? When he decided, I mean, when he, he they were all, they were sorted together at the water jump, even though for 200 to go, it looked like Jaeger was done. He tried to come take another stab at it after the water jump. And it did look like Al Cabani or whatever his name is, was trying to go. But when Capruto, that last 50 meters, accelerated and waved to the crowds and, you know, he did his best Kemboy, right? He he, yeah, he was gone. <laughs> he was gone and there was nothing else going to happen of it, you know? So I, I am, I, I don't, I don't know that Jaeger could have done anything different. I think that Jaeger is the best American steeplechaser of all time, but I think that and he may get a chance – it may be – we saw how much his tactics have changed and how good he's gotten in the last two years. You know, I think another two years and you're going to see Jaeger at another level. He's still got many more years of steepling in him. He's going to be around for another three to five years in this event in my opinion. And so I think he's going to keep getting better and I think he will be a gold medalist at the world championships. Um, as long as the we get these French fuckers out of there and, and they quit <laughs> trying to DQ people for stupid stuff. But, you know, it's like I think that he will win, and I think that the Kenyans now know that we are – that our best is equal to their best. It was just the the, the Kenyan win streak wasn't going to get broken in this one, but I'm confident in 2019 he has a significant chance to do it. The thing I'm most disappointed about with this race is I think we had a chance, honestly, to have three Americans in the top six. Um and, you know, Bohr, Hillary Bohr, what the heck? He ran terrible at this meet. He was terrible. Yeah. But Kebeni ran amazing. Another great race from Kebeni. Again, and I think that in the steeple, we have a chance to get more medals in 2019. I think we could be a real force to be reckoned with. And there could be a team tactic game that gets played at the world championship level where the Kenyans can't boss the race around like they have in the past. So I was really impressed with Kebeni. He has now proved himself since his – his um, poor race performance at um, the Olympic at the Olympic trials, you know, where he got fourth, he has proven he is a baller. He's ready to go. And I just wish we had had Hillary there. Cause I think Hillary could have run a great race the way that race went out as well. So I'm really well, excited he, he, about yeah. American steeplechasing in the, for sure. And he would have pushed Hillary or Hillary would have pushed Cabane a little bit. For sure. Cabane was not in it. He finished fifth, but not really in the mix for a medal. Eight twenty one. He was kind of caught in that second pack. I think the only way Jager could have won this one is if he ran 802. Like yes. I think he needed to take it from the very gun and basically just try to buy himself to single-handedly take this race. I think that was his only chance. Now, that would have been perhaps more doubtful. I think he still would have gotten a medal kind of going with that approach. But I think that was his only chance for with Cabruto. I mean, because Cabruto, I, I, by the... I think that's true. By the but end, I, don't, I don't think it would have happened. Maybe not, but I think that was his only shot. Yeah. But the, but Capruto, the, his foot speed between barriers and <laughs> just unbelievable. Like how fast he was moving, coming over. Like once he got, you know, back with his legs under him, just unbelievable how, like the gears there. So super interesting. It's super, you know, Chris, I was a, I was a steeplechaser myself and I was a coach of steeplechasers and the Kenyan style is so unorthodox. And if, if anybody's interested in this and they're, they're sort of form geeks, they should go and watch Kenyan steeplechasers. They do not hurdle. They jump the hurdles. And so their feet are ready to hit the ground 
much faster than anybody who's a hurdler. And they can hit the ground with either foot, depending on how they come across. So where hurdlers are required to, their lead leg will hit the ground prior to their trail leg, the 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 Kenyan style of, of jumping hurdles rather than hurdling the, the barriers creates that ability that he and Kenboy have shown over the years to get back on the ground, have their feet ready to go, and run between the hurdles in an amazing way. I mean, there's no doubt that the best runner in that race is Evan Yeager, but he wasn't the best steeplechaser that day. <laughs> so the big story, though, too, here is that we had two Americans finishing ahead of the second Canyon. Yes. Kenboy, who ended up 11th. And I guess this would be his final race. I don't think he said that he's officially retired, but it would seem like this may be his swan song. Passing passing the torch to Caputo, which effectively happened in Rio last year. He, um, You picked him on the podium, but he didn't show up. Any any thoughts from from you on your on Kenboy kind of bombing out? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I knew it was a that was one of the the one position spot that I called differently to try. I tried to game it with you. <laughs> I was trying to get. I was a one person who I thought might be able to get in there and get a get a get a medal that you might that you would be probably not likely to pick. And so I he did look good with till a K to go, but then he got his ass dropped. <laughs> I don't think he was. Fit. He probably didn't train in the same way. He hadn't. He had only run eight thirty one before that in the year. You know, he had not run well. So, you know, I I probably shouldn't have picked him, but I do know why I picked him. I picked him to try to get a little bit of an edge in the event because I knew that you and I were probably going to pick similarly for the win. Um, and then the only places we were going to differentiate with each other were in two and three. And so I was trying to get a, a point, two points there, but didn't work out for me. So, well, and Barack, who were the other. Kenyon, who ended up third Kenyon on the list, 12th, right behind Kenboy. He totally blew up. I had him on the podium, and he wasn't even close to sniffing that. So I don't know what happened between that most recent Diamond League meet where he was at least running with Jager for a while until this point, but he did not have a good race either. Let's go to the women's steeple. Oh, yes. Gosh, probably the, the race of the meet. And this is a race now that I've watched about 10 times, maybe more. I tear up every time I watch it. So much to talk about with Emma Coburn and Courtney Frerichs getting 1-2 in the most unexpected fashion. An American record pace, championship record pace. So it wasn't just that you know it was a slow tactical race and they got lucky. They, they went with it. They ran hard. They ran fast. And they won. They ran away. <laughs> from the Kenyan and Bahrainian athletes. I mean, there's not much to say here, you know, but I will say in terms of, in terms of, you know, the, the race kind of speaks for itself, but what I will say one is that you and I have been talking about the Courtney Frerichs versus Emma Coburn battle for a while. We talked about it after Prefontaine. We talked about it after, about after us champs where this day was coming when Courtney and Emma were going to be close and going head to head. And that day is now here. As I watched that race back, the last lap, I probably watched 20 times because, you know, it was still, you know, you still had five athletes in the mix at that point, starting the final lap. It was down to four athletes by about 250 to go. 
And that's when Courtney made a move to go past Emma, come up next to Chip Coach and Jeff Kamoy. And this race was won or lost in that last water jump. And I think Courtney will never be disappointed that she got silver, but she's going to watch this race back and realize that she could have perhaps won this race if she had approached that final water jump differently. If you watch her coming around the corner before the water jump, she looks up to her right at the board to see her position. And by that point, she would have been in the top three, so she kind of would have secured that position. But it distracted her like for a split second. And in the same moment, Coburn was cutting inside Correct. to go between, you know, between all of them to get that pole position over the water jump. And then she had a flawless water jump and was gone from there. Courtney had approached that a little bit differently. I think she could have given Emma a run for her money over the final stretch. And so she's going to probably not be disappointed, but she's going to know that she's can, she can give Emma a run for her money you know, from this race forward. So just absolutely huge results. There's more to talk about on this, but I'll get your reactions first. Well, not since, I mean, this race was, the, the first thought that I had that came to my mind is you sent me the results because I was out of pocket and was not, was in a, on a mountain. So I was not able to watch this race. And I got to the bottom and you said that they'd gone one, two. And I said, you're so full of crap. Quit joking with me. And you're like, I haven't seen it either, but I know that something <laughs> happened. And so both of us missed it. We both had to go back and watch it. But my first thought was, if this is true, it's Billy Mills. You know, it's like, it's it's the most unexpected, unprecedented, and um, unexpected result of of I think in American running history. Certainly in female running history, the only thing that gets close to this is Joan Benoit's Joan Benoit Samuelson's gold medal at the eighty four Olympics. I don't think people really saw that one coming, but she had run comparably fast. So I just I don't know. It's just the greatest race. It was so exciting. I watched that race four or five times. Um, and it's just, I, I have been, you know, I started coaching collegiately in 2006 and that year women, just women's steeplechasing was so pathetically bad. It was just unbelievably how pathetically bad it was. And to think that in the short span of 10 years, we are now taught, had the two best finishers at the steeplechase at the world championships is mind boggling to me. And those two women, let's just make sure that our listeners know this, know those who didn't watch this race. They, they did not, it is arguable that they probably would have gotten silver and bronze. In my opinion, I do think that Kip Coet, Chep Coet's poor race selection, the way that she ran that race, she was definitely better than everybody else in that race. Of course, that's not how it played out, but she was better. But those two women, both Friedrichs and Coburn, were not going to be denied for silver and bronze, in my opinion. And so I think that if they had gotten silver and bronze, we would still be saying unbelievable and maybe the best ever. We wouldn't maybe not putting it in Billy Mills' category because nobody won a gold. But we would still be talking about the change. Um, and so, you know, I I'm grateful and thankful for it. I think this is one the one chance we had to get ESPN coverage could have been this race, you know. And we got it. There was an article on ESPN that came yeah. out afterwards. Yeah, we got a sports pointing. sports writer wrote about it, which was ESPN, which was really good. I, I'm hoping that we can continue that kind of momentum. But um, but wow, Chris, let's talk a little bit about the race. I mean, Chep Koech misses the first water jump. I, how in the world? I don't, I don't know. I mean, this, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? 
I know there's one reason why that girl didn't come to the United States and run at a collegiate and at a college environment. There, that dumb as a box of rocks. How do you not <laughs> get over that barrier on the first turn? And it wasn't like she was leading so far out. You know what I mean? She wasn't like five meters ahead of everybody. She was running right there. She was leading. Oh, she had to cut people off to get to the outside. I know. It was like, what the hell are you doing? Unbelievable. And then she closed the gap so fast, got right back behind them. Hell, and then she ran into a hurdle, right? I mean, she right. went down on a hurdle, still got back up and was still in the race. I mean, honestly, we know who the best steeplechaser was that day, but she didn't win and she shouldn't have won because – you know, if she wanted to be the absolute hero and having that happen, she would have won, I think, even if the with the with the missed turn, if she had not fallen. But I think the fall made another big push that she had to get close the gap. But I mean, it, it but she had to. Yeah, she, she had, had to. to close the gap because Jebet took it hard in the middle of that race. I mean, she went out, she kind of took the lead and then was going faster than world record pace in those middle laps, which I think probably cost her being in the mix in the final lap because she just, she rabbited them, but just took it a little bit too hard. Yes. I think she still probably could have won if she had done both those two things and she hadn't had to push so hard to get back. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And I don't want to do to say anything to, to, to diminish the race results that Emma and Courtney had because they ran beautiful races. I'm a hundred percent with you. I think Courtney, made that race um, and certainly helped Emma with the win. Emma's Wiley steeplechase background, having run so many world championships, so many high-level races that Courtney has not had the opportunity to do yet, showed as she approached that final water jump. But with 200 meters to go, I was a little worried for Emma generally. I knew the results, but I was looking at it going, how does she win? Because she didn't look good and Courtney looked great. I thought Courtney could have gotten the win there. But um, – I do have one other topic I want to talk about with this race, which is the absolute – it's just heartbreaking for Colleen Quigley. I don't think Colleen Quigley was in the same shape that either Emma or Courtney were in. But I don't think that – I think that she was – they had said that she was in really good shape and she had been training right with Courtney in all of her training sessions. So for her to have been disqualified on something that, in my opinion, is the stupidest rule ever, but in her case, it's even worse because the IAAF – did not put a cone out, or if they did put a cone out, they allowed a photographer to move it. And in my opinion, Courtney should not have been disqualified from that race. There were too many sketchy circumstances that happened with that that make it ridiculous. And so for our listeners, basically, the steeplechase, they run either on the outside for a water jump or an inside. And at the world level, it's always on the inside. And so as they around a track, there's always a rail. This is a raised three-inch raised aluminum rail that's set on there. So if runners step on it, so the runners don't have the ability to run on the inside of that inner line, the shortest distance around the turn. Um, and so they place that there, and everybody knows it's there. It's very dangerous. I've had athletes in training, when we've had rails up in training, step on a rail, fall down, and turn an ankle, have all kinds of problems. It, that, it, is, it is a scary thing to have a rail up there. And so sometimes at some meets, they take the rail off for the steeple because there's some jostling and moving and they don't want the athletes to have a chance of injury. But So they remove that rail. But by removing that rail, they also remove the ability for athletes to know where they're positioned there. And unfortunately, Colleen did step on the line. Um, she gained no advantage at, at all. That's the rule that should be changed. If you don't gain an advantage, you shouldn't be disqualified or they shouldn't put the rail up there. 
But it's the second part that bothers me so much, Chris, is that it was it was someone else that influenced because where she stepped, a cone should have been. So um, right. it's just heartbreaking, and I'm sure for Colleen, it's incredibly frustrating. And who knows where she would have positioned? She could have been in the final that was the greatest women's steeplechase final in history. I have a strong feeling she'll be back in 2019, maybe in the same position, and we'll be able to we'll be able to talk about this race in a different way. But you know, life is uncertain, Chris. Training is hard. Injuries happen. Um, Colleen was in really good shape. She was ready to go. She should have been in that final. And it's a travesty and completely unacceptable, in my opinion, as a fan of the sport, for us to have such ticky-tacky, silly, stupid rules in an event where no one is gaining an advantage. And it is just, it is just, it is just the proof of it's bullshit. It's stupid. It kills it's us. bullshit, but that's a name Colleen Quigley for everybody to remember because she's Courtney's training partner. Courtney said she was right with her in training and the plan for both of them would have been to go with Emma. So she would have been in the mix. Now, would she have been able to hang like those two? Maybe not, but she'll be there at some point in the future. And it'll be interesting when we have three American women battling for medals in this event. A couple of notes from me on this as I watched because I watched all their interviews pre and post prelims as well as the final and one thing that struck me in watching that was just the just the pure fearlessness of Courtney and Emma on this both of them were asked after the the prelim race how they thought the final would play out or how they wanted the final play out Courtney actually said I hope it goes fast because she was in hunt, she wanted a PR, and she knew if it went fast, then not only would she get a PR, but then something crazy could happen. But she was fearless about sort of wanting that fast race. And Emma said the same. She said, "Look, it's going to be fast. I'm ready for a fast race. I'm going with them, knowing that the Kenyans would likely one of those four Kenyans, including Ruth Jabet, who trains for Bahrain but is Kenyan born." was going to likely take that race out hard. And so both of them were just so fearless. And there were various points in that race, especially in laps four and five, when Jabet was pushing it a little bit hard, where they could have cracked. They could have popped off the back and, and lost touch. And there was, you know, things were stretching out. There were a couple meters maybe at some times when they were the last two in that lineup. And now they didn't let it go. Out. Thanks. What the heck was that? Don't know. Sorry about that. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't let it go. They hung in there till the end, and then and then put themselves in position to be where they needed to be over that last water jump. And then that relates to my other point, which is that both of them talked about ways they were interacting with their coach and ways they visualized this race that play out that allowed them to be in the right position. Emma talked about how Joe said, look, it could come down to the last water jump. Make sure you have a flawless last water jump. And so Emma had visualized that flawless final water jump. And boy, did she have a flawless final water jump, not only getting the perfect line to it, but also coming off of it absolutely clean on the inside to really get the gap that helped her hold that position to gold. And then Courtney talked about how Jerry mentioned two things. One, just he just said, go with Emma. You know you can follow Emma for a long time, so follow Emma as long as you can. You also know she's a clean racer. She's not going to be doing crazy things off the hurdles and barriers and jumps. 
she's going to be clean. So if you're behind Emma, you're in a good spot, which she pretty much stayed there exactly in that spot until the very last lap. She also said that Jerry mentioned the fact that something weird might happen. It's a global championship. If something weird happens, don't freak out. Sure enough, Chepkoich runs around that first that water jump. And so for Courtney, that was a time of, okay, something weird happened and it almost settled her in, as she described. It made her realize, all right, this is nothing I haven't already thought about and handled. And it put her in position to be there running 902 and 903 so fast. So just unbelievable. If you haven't had a chance to watch this race, go to NBC Sports. You can search on steeplechase IAAF. It's the first thing that pops up. It's nine minutes and three seconds of pure joy. The other thing I want to mention is how Emma just kept, every time she, like right after she finished, she turned around. She gave Courtney a big hug. They went to the track together, hugging each other. As Emma started to walk off to grab her flag, she turned around as she was doing that to go get Courtney so they could get the flags together. Like the camaraderie of the women in this sport, doing these things together and supporting each other, even across sponsors and across training groups, is also super inspiring to me. It is to me too, Chris. The most inspiring thing, though, is, mark my words, 2019, the steeplechase for the women and the men, it will no longer be Kenyan domination, in my opinion. I think we have now proven it, and I do not think that this is a fluke. This reminds me of Jenny's supposed fluke 1500 meter at her first world at that first world championship. And what have we had? We had women in the 15 forever since then. I think from now on, you're going to see men and women in the steeplechase in the top three in the world championships and at the Olympic Games. This is an event in which we can compete. This is an event an event in which drugs do not overwhelmingly benefit the athlete. And so. Um, it's also an event that I think in the future Americans can get behind. It's weird enough, interesting enough, and just off enough for maybe for us to be able to get some traction with our sport of distance running in America. So more to come. I can't wait to see the steeplechase become big. And at least if it doesn't become big in terms of a national stage, it will at least be us being in the mix every single race, every single time. And I'm, I, I truly believe that. This is no fluke, folks. This is the real thing on both the men and the women's side. Yeah, and Jager tweeted after the women finished. He said, the U.S. had more medals in the steeplechase than Kenya with three to two, which nobody could have predicted. So it's already, the tide has already changed, and this being the championship that signaled that. So we will see. But watch for more from the Americans from this one. All right, let's go to the eight. We'll start with the women's this time. We've already touched on it a little bit, so maybe there's not a lot to talk about. Caster Semenya delivered in the doubles. She got two medals, the bronze in the 15 and the gold in the 800, closing in a personal best for her of low 155s. And you know, there's not much more to say other than the fact that she looked like a man among women, unfortunately, in this finish Ninian Saba she did too much work in this one I think she could have actually given Semenya perhaps a run for her money but she took it from the gun led pretty much the whole way until Aji challenged her a little bit in the last 300 or so but both of those two faded as Semenya came around and finished strong you know I don't know that there's much more to talk about here than Aji Wilson running a 156 to get a, a bronze is crazy to me, but also shows that she's, you know, worthy of a gold medal, but may never get one. 
She might not. You know, it seems like Caster is going to be continued down this road. And Ian Saba is relatively young as well. So, you know, it's a, uh, you know, I, I didn't really bother me so much in the eight before, but now that Aj, when Aji ran, 155 and was right with them coming off the turn at that at that um, diamond league race uh that's when my heart started really breaking and that's when i started really getting a little bit more angry i'm not angry at caster at all i think caster is doing what caster needs to do and ca what the and and what me and saba needs to do they're doing what they should be doing it's disappointing to me that the iaaf can't take a stand and can't make a hard decision about what is, of course, not Caster's fault, but it's also not Aji Wilson's fault, nor is it, nor is it any of the other women's fault that they can't run with them. And Aji Wilson would be now our greatest, probably our greatest. She probably is our greatest American 800 meter runner, maybe in history. I'm not sure she's quite there yet, but she's approaching it. And, uh, but with two gold, with a gold at this World Championship, going into a but down year, and then another World Championship and Olympic Games. We would have Aji in a, in a chance. She's so young. She would have a chance to be maybe a three-time gold, a two-time world championship medalist and a one-time Olympic gold medalist. Of course, last year she got she had other issues that came up. But it's just so disappointing for me when, you know, it's not Caster's fault. It's not Francine's fault. They're not doing anything wrong. And I, 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 I really hope people don't look at it that way. They need to say that the governing body needs to either create another division which is an intersex division, which is anybody can compete in, which guess what will happen? The guys will not choose to run it because they want to run against guys. The women won't run it because they don't want to run against guys. So guess what will happen? There'll be three women in it, and they'll go one, two, three, and we'll all go, okay, great job, you know, move on. Um, I don't think it should be – so I, and it's a really hard decision, but I just think the IAAF is creating a scenario where – there's a clear delineation between what's going on chemically with these athletes in comparison of it with, with the women who are not testosterone, testosterone advantaged. So I do want to yeah, say one other thing about this race. Again, Charlene, Charlene Rips Lipsy, I thought she did a great job in her prelims to get into that final. Brenda Martinez, I mean, she did a great job in her race. She just ran a she should. She was in that last heat, and all they had to do was run fast. I don't know why Brenda didn't just go off the front and run fast. You know, she should have done that. She should have just run off the front and said, "I can get third here. I can be third, and I have to do it fast." And she let it be just a chance. You know, and so Brent, we could have had three women in that final. We should have had three women in that final. And again, I think the women's eight hundred. Um, we are in the women's 800 and the men's 800 is what we're about to talk about. We have a chance to be among the best in the world. And we, and we will be, I think we've got great shot. Hopefully the IAAF will make some kind of decision about how this hypo and androidism is just not going to, it can't be happy. We can't allow it to happen. So anyway, that's my, that's my pit. Yeah. Kester was also quoted as saying in her post-race interview, she said, I think that was the easiest race I've ever run in my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like you ran 155. I mean, it shouldn't be easy. There's something that's not quite right. It's not equitable and it's not fair. We all know that. We the scientists know that. This is this is it is it is a known quantity, especially in this event, you know? So, anyway, it's just there's not much more to say about it except to say that let's celebrate our American athletes for racing. I mean, if you take the top 2 women out, and if you took the third one out, I mean, there are three women in that final who are not, who are not, who are men, basically. And so 
you, she's at seventh, then she she could potentially be in the hunt for a medal. The race would be run differently. Who knows what would happen? So anyway, so it's, it's a shame. It sad, saddens me. Um, it this saddens me more than drugs do. Um, honestly. So anyway, hate to One be thing there, there, but yeah. One other sad bit here is I think this may be Brenda Martinez's last global 800. As she has said, she's likely moving up to the 15 exclusively. She needs to learn some tactics a little bit, I think, if she's going to have success at the 15 level. I think Brenda's in deep trouble at the 1500. I think tactics come into play way more. Timing has to come into play way more. Brenda's an incredibly talented runner. She should stay at the eight. I don't think that, I think that it is, I can see Aji Wilson moving up to the 15 and killing and crushing people because she's tactically sound. I just think that Brenda's, her, her first heat, she ran so stupid. She barely got out of that heat. She survived a scare, honestly. And then in the eight, she was in the third heat. She should have just run as fast as she could possibly run. She could run 158. She would have gotten in that way, you know? So I just don't think that Brenda's got, and in the 15, tactics are way more to play, way more to play. And yep. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not confident Brenda has the ability in race, in race mode to think critically about positioning. She's certainly no Jenny Simpson. <laughs> Completely agree with that. We will see. Switching to the men's eight, this was the the least predictable event of the championship and one where we struck out the most. I ended up correctly picking the bronze medalist in the men's side, but that was that was it. The two, the silver and, and gold medals, I don't think anybody would have predicted in those positions aside maybe from people from those countries themselves. Pierre Boss, French athlete, won in a season's best 144. And I don't even know how you say Adam's name. Kushnick. I mean, his name yeah. starts with five consonants, yeah. including two yeah, Zs. I don't even know how that happens. But he's a Polish athlete who, who was able to follow Boss and basically get silver. Beyond that, you know, your favorite probably going into the final was Nigel Amos, who faded late, and you didn't even have Career or Brazier in this final, who we thought would be competing for that gold medal together, having the seasons they've had. So, completely wild and crazy, men's eight. And what are your impressions of this? How do you how do you make sense of it? I think the 800, it just shows that, um, honestly, I think the 800 is one of the most, one of the races with the greatest amount of parity. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it, there's a lot of, it, it, I don't think that, you know, when Rudisha bumped out, Rudisha, David Rudisha, who is the best eight, who has in history, the best 800 meter runner in history, he, he also ran the greatest 800 meter race ever in world history by far, 2008 Olympics. That is the greatest race ever 20, 2012 Olympics. Oh, 2012 yes. Olympics that was the greatest race ever ever it was just amazing um and uh I just think it shows that on any given day with appropriate on any given day anybody can win um until we find another David Rudisha and I don't think they're out there I don't think the American you know I don't think our Americans are talented enough to be that good I think career showed you know my pick my pick for the win Emmanuel career Incredibly young. It may be possible that he is a David Rudisha type. He's an eight-four guy. He comes from there. Maybe he will be in that position. Um, but uh, 
It would have been a lot more fun, Chris. I think you and I should have said, okay, you know what? We're, we got this one all screwed up, right? We should have re, re-picked this race after the final, at, b- before the final. You know what I mean? Not, right. not, not, I mean, maybe you, you could have argued not to because you're not, it wouldn't have been fair because your pick for the win was in the final. So that wouldn't have been fair. But other than that, we would have maybe made different choices completely with our picks based on what that race was like at the start. I remember watching, I watched that one live. I remember when I watched it, I was like, whoa, like I would, I would actually, after watching the, the, the rounds, I would have maybe put Kashat in it with a chance because he had run really smart in every other race. I certainly would have put Bet much further up. I thought Bet probably should have won that race. But, um, you know, it's just – I just think that the eight has got so much parity. On any given day, anybody can win. And um, unlike the 15 where men – where people are going to have to look around and say, how in the world are we going to be able to beat the Kenyans? You know, we're – if they run a fast pace, they're going to win every time. The eight is just a different beast in terms of the way that the body has to function, and it creates so many of these great races. I'll tell you this. I thought that great race was a fun race to watch, Chris. I thought it was – the only thing that bothered me was just Brandon McBride. I wish he, he needs to become more than a one-trick pony. Hopefully after this, he'll learn some other tactics. But Because mm-hmm. he was just – you just saw him. He was going to get just chewed up. But it was a he was, fun, he was it, the rabbit. It was a fun race to watch that last 400 meters. I thought it was incredibly fun to watch. Now let's talk about the fact that there were no Americans in the final. Just, just not what we expected there. Obviously Isaiah Harris running into a long season. That's that's tough to go three rounds in the World Championships and make the final. I don't think, you know, either of us would have necessarily expected him there. Same with Drew Wendell. Just maybe not quite at the world level yet, but Brazier should have been there. Just did not play his cards well. I think he'll look back on this and say that was a year he could have won. He could have won a world championship. That was he. He could have won that race. That way, that race played out. It was set up for him perfectly. Yeah, because he would have followed McBride and then had more in the gas. Correct. Or more in the tank. Around him. Yep. So that's too bad. But he's got to learn tactics if he's going to continue to compete with the best of the world. The other thing about the men's eight is it's so young. I mean, all of these guys are young. And other than Radisha, who we don't know exactly where he's going to be, but but everybody else in this in this race is young and from 20 to 25. Yep. So there's going to be lots of interesting head-to-head matchups going forward. It'll be interesting to see what rivalries emerge as we get consistency. But right now, with Radisha out, it is wide open. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Rodisha back at the same level. He might, you know, because we've got a full year. He might do well at the Diamond League next year. But I, you know, it's another full year for him to be to be able to. If he comes back and wins a world championship, or even a, or even a, even is in it at the Olympics, it will be, it will be unbelievable. But I, I think that's too much to hope for. Um, and honestly, I don't think any of these. I think you know you're gonna have it's you're gonna have to run 150. You're gonna have to want run 154, one. I mean 144, 143, and maybe even to the 142s in the future. You know, and the way that Radisha beat people was he just ran away from everybody. He just had a skill set that Brandon McBride doesn't have, and I don't know. It'll be. I do think Emmanuel Career could be the guy that can do something like that. But again, he was what 18, 19 years old. He doesn't really know exactly what he's doing, and both he and Brazier get get out early, and what a disappointment for. America and in my opinion for the future of the eight it's going to be it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to see what happens with this event we will see all right let's go to the 5k to wrap it all up 
We'll start with the women's because we got to give Farah his appropriate due to finish with the men's. This race went out super slow. 81, nearly 82 second first lap, which I could have kept up with. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, Ayana took it, trying to, to burn the kick out of Helen O'Beary, but it was not happening on this day. So this became the Ayana versus Obiri show, but we should, we proved here that Ayana it doesn't. She's a 10k runner, not necessarily a 5k runner. She still got the silver, but Obiri had been moving up from the 15 to the 5k, just obliterated her in that final lap. I mean, it wasn't even. I mean, it was almost comical how fast she flew away from her at the end. I haven't so seen Obiri got like the win. I have never seen anything like that, Chris. It was unbelievable. It was. <laughs> I mean, it looked like video game. It looked like a video game. But Obiri blows him away, finishes a, a, a f- almost seven seconds clear of Ayana after Ayana led most of the way. Hassan had a nice finish to get the bronze, although she wasn't really in the mix for the gold and the silver. And there was a while where, you know, the Americans with Robbery and and Huddle were kind of in that, second or third pack that and there was a third pack that kind of joined with the second pack and so there was a time when that bronze medal was kind of in play for more than just Hassan but Hassan proved the class of that group at the end with her 1500 meter speed so what are your impressions of this race um I, I absolutely you you picked Obiri and I I'm glad you you picked her for the win didn't you yep yeah and she was I mean, I really wanted to. I think I remember telling you, like, I really want to pick Obiri. I hope she wins. And when I did see her win and the way she did so, I was like, that's awesome. But I just didn't feel like Ayana. I should have known from the – I should now I know that – I do now know for sure that Ayana is a 10K specialist. And she's not a great racer. She needs to be out in front leading and getting away from people. And if somebody can stick close to her, it's trouble, you know. Um, my biggest impression – so Obiri just absolutely – decimated and destroyed the field to win by six seconds over the or seven seconds over the last last 400 meters is unprecedented unlike anything i've ever seen especially against an athlete of the caliber of ayana um and i do think that it's going to be interesting to see how many of these women from the 15 look at moving up to the five in the way that these races go um you see hassan getting a, a, a bronze here um and you know i picked her for a win in the 15 and a bronze in the five and almost it almost happened. I think you're going to see much more of these 1500 meter runners moving up to the five, and it becoming a much faster race. Um, that's super exciting for me to watch in the women's field. I hope it happens the same way in the men's. The problem is the men run the 15 like jack wagons, and they sit around and play tiddlywinks, and then they slap each other upside the head to see who can run the fastest 500 meter dash, which is frankly stupid. So I don't think they have the balls or the guts to run a great 5K the way that the women are. But to me, as a huge 5K fan, watching the way that the 5K has transitioned in for women, it's super exciting. I would love to see Jenny Simpson run some fives. I think I hope she doesn't wait too too long to do so. I think she could be competitive. I don't know that she would have been able to blast what Obiri did, but I think she could do what Hassan did. And um, anyway, I just think you saw. Unfortunately, we didn't see Shannon run that well, but Shannon's kind of been off her game this whole year. She hasn't quite been right for some reason. So um, Laura Muir, look what she did. I mean, if you look at it, it's a changing of the guards. You've got Obiri is a former 1500 meter runner. 
Ayana, the, the unprecedented, unbelievable 10,000 meter runner, cannot win the gold. It gets decimated and almost caught over the last 400 by the 1500 meter crew. It's interesting and exciting to see me to see this happen because I think the world records are soon to be crushed as we see more 1500 meter runners run move up to the five and as their training changes and gets them ready to do those things. I'm excited for the women's 1500 meter running. It's I mean, women's 5000 meter running. It's it's going to be super exciting to watch over the coming five years or so. Yeah, and obviously Robbery wasn't on top of her game. I think she likely didn't have some of the closing speed that she has shown in 1500 meters in the past. Perhaps that's why they chose the 5k versus the 15 at, at us champs. And, but now she's training with us on, I mean, they both talked about working with Pete Julian at the Oregon project as their primary coach versus Salazar. So those two are going to be working together. I'd like to see Robbery kind of focus on the five and put herself in position. Cause there's no reason to think she couldn't have been in position to get a bronze here on the right day coming in fit and she just didn't have the gears at the end because her strength obviously wasn't there for inconsistency reasons so we'll see as she gets to train with Hassan and and those two are kind of working together it'll be interesting to see how that plays out you know because beyond and and with Houlihan I'm curious I mean she's got the crazy closing speed but she needs to be able to run a little bit stronger first half of a race yeah I would assume sure. Schumacher would get her there She's I would, a converted 1500 meter runner, you know? So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would assume that over the years as, as knowing how much of a strength focused mileage runner that mileage coach that Schumacher is, I assume that kind of staying power early in the race is coming for Houlihan. So it'll be interesting to see when she gets that to match with her speed. So it's going to be fun to watch. And I think this is the time to mention Schumacher specifically since we just talked about Houlihan. I mean, three medals at this championship. Half of our distance medals for the U.S. came from Schumacher's group. You had seven athletes competing, three medaled, and then Enfield had, you know, was sixth in the personal best in the 10,000. Unbelievable results. And, and just... As we've talked about before, he's a coach and a, has a group of athletes that I believe in that I believe are doing it the right way. To, to, so to see that happening, to see a group that's doing it the right way, compete with the best in the world across so many levels from, you know, from 5K to marathon, from steeple to marathon, is just, it's awesome. It's unbelievable. It makes me happy. I'm a big Schumacher fan. I'm a big Bowerman Track Club fan. How do you, like, how do you react to their results here? I mean, I think that you and I, Chris, we both saw it coming. You know, we knew um, that he had a crew of athletes that were unbelievable. Um, Zalzar is in turmoil. So Nike now turns their attention, which they should have done from the very beginning, to the person who, uh, not to say that Nike didn't do anything for them. Obviously, they're incredibly well taken care of. But now Nike has an opportunity to ride the coattails of a coach who is above board in every regard. Um, and I think that for the, for that's exciting to me, how much more love, how much more excitement, how much more of our very best will go to that group. That's exciting. Number two, um, the camaraderie of that group. You mentioned it as, as Enfield was cheering for, um, Craig and her marathon. You can feel it with that group, just how tight they really are. 
And to me, to see a group that, that's brought together, that if you bring the right group of people into an environment with the right resources, we can compete with the best in the world. But the most exciting thing to me, Chris, the, the most exciting thing to me is this. It re, as a coach who coaches very similarly to what Jerry does, of course, I, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying I'm similar to him. Please don't hear me to say that. But I do use very similar training methodologies. I'm most excited about the fact that athletes are talking about how hard they're training and what the camaraderie of their group is. That to me is the real thing, Chris. That is what it is. If you train hard, if you put, and his athletes have been banged up, they get injured. They're not always at 100%. You know, they're not always, they got, you know, Jaeger got a little behind this year. So did Colin Quigley got a little bit behind this year. So they're training really, really hard. They're doing it the right way. They're training hard and they're doing it in a group environment. It's just incredibly inspiring to me. And it makes me feel like, um, what I've always thought is I've never understood why the Americans couldn't compete with the best in the world. My argument then always was not that the, that the Kenyans were more talented or they're built for it, nor was it that they were at altitude. My argument was always that we did not get the best American, run, best American athletes in our sport. That's changing. Evan Yeager could have been great in nearly any sport he chose. Courtney Freericks could be great in nearly any event that she chose. Emma Coburn could be great in nearly any, any sport that she chose. Jenny Simpson could be great in nearly any sport she chose. Now, I didn't, now not all those are, are athletes working with Jerry Schumacher, but what we're seeing this resurgence in American distance running is that we've got now, at least from the high school level and the junior high level, a real impetus behind Choosing track and field as a legitimate, real sport, seeing it as an opportunity to, to, to shine at the best that you can be. And we're seeing this resurgence in American distance running because we've got the best athletes running for us. We've got great coaching at the young level all the way up to our international level. And Jerry is the pinnacle of that. I, I've argued this many times. I still think Alberto Zalazar is among, if not the best coach in the world. He, he uses different technologies but Jerry doesn't. Jerry is technologically technologically free. Not completely. I mean, he, I'm sure he uses heart rate monitors. I'm sure he uses all the tech, all the VO2 max testing. I'm sure he does all that stuff. But what he really says is, let's put, let's work hard. Let's train right. Let's be a great group of people who take care take take care of each other and want each other's success. And man, that's the greatest that American. That's the greatest of America. And to see that play out at this World Championships, so exciting. And, and so inspiring to me as a fan and as a coach. Yeah. And it makes me regain some faith and love in our sport. And in spite of my, at times, cynicism to know that, hey, if you just do the work the right way, put in the work, put in the miles, train hard, do it in a group, you can be there when it counts with the very best, even the very best cheaters in the world. And some people are going right. to argue that Jerry has access to all the science that, that Alberto has. And this is one of my arguments. I'm not convinced that Alberto is cheating. And I do think that Jerry is getting the benefit of all the lab testing and all the far-reaching and far-thinking attributes that, that, that Alberto's utilizing. He's maybe using them a year or two years later to be sure that Everything's sound, everything's above board, everything's right. But without an Alberto to push the edges of what's of what's 
real? Do we have the opportunities to be thinking what we think about Jerry? I don't know. That's a that's an interesting topic for another day. We don't have time with that with this, but um, and it doesn't diminish what Jerry did at this meet or what Jerry will be continuing to do, in my opinion. For sure. All right, let's talk men's 5K. Last event to discuss. Mo Farah trying to do it yet again was denied this time by what he says were team tactics from the Ethiopians. I thought it was funny how he kind of seemed to to kind of talk about that as if they were cheating somehow. Uh, ultimately, I think Idris was just the best athlete in this race, closing in a ridiculous clip with a 52 final lap to just beat Farah at essentially his own game. So I don't think it was necessarily team tactics that beat Farah that Idris was just better on this day. But it was nice to see the Ethiopians working a little bit together, finally, to try to knock Farah off of his podium, and, or at least the top of the podium. And they were successful, Mukhtar Idris getting the gold in unbelievable fashion, closing out really, really hard. Farah being denied for the gold with the silver. And Chalimo, who I don't think got enough attention in a lot of the post-race coverage of this race because the Farah was the focus closing out an amazing, pretty tight finish for, for bronze as well, which is a huge result for the American. What are your impressions of this race? Um, I was finally, 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 people, a, a group of athletes decided to try to go after, after Mo when everybody was at the top of their game. Mo was at the top of his game for this race. He was, don't, no one could say, yes, he's at the end of his career, but he was at the top of his game. The way that he won that 10 was the greatest, his greatest win yet. And I think he didn't expect to get beat. I think finally Ethiopia put together a number of athletes that were willing to sacrifice for each other to create this opportunity. We'd seen Idris kick. You know, I had him picked for, um, for second. Didn't I have him for second? You, you had him in third. I had him in third. I had Shalima Chalima for the win. That's right. Chalima, Farah, right. Idris was your, was your pick. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that what happened there was the reason why Chalimo didn't win was because he didn't have a whole team of people to help. The reason why Mo didn't win is because Mo got gamed. And the reason Idris won was because he was, he believed that he could still beat him after everybody had done it. I think that that 52-3 that he ran to, um, to uh, Mo's 52-6 um, came much more from a place of wanting it than necessarily talent. Although they planned it right because Mo's never closed that fast to win in a 5K ever. So, you know what I mean? That's yep. They yep. knew they probably somebody had gone through and done the research to try to figure out how fast do you have to run for Mo's last kick not to be there. I don't care. It wouldn't have happened in the 10. I don't care if somebody had run 51 seconds. Mo wasn't going to get beaten that 10. Nobody was going to beat him. He was faster than everybody else. And I thought that he was going to win the five for sure. Um, I think also another point is that I think Mo let the team tactics play into his own head. And so now he's got nowhere else to go but cry and whine about getting beat fair and square. I, I think it totally diminishes my vote for, for Mo as the greatest of all time based on his whining about this. He should have just let it be. He lost. He should have said, I, don't, I can't believe somebody didn't actually pull this off before now. You know what I mean? That's what right, he really should right. say. To me, that would have been a gracious way to lose, to say, they finally got me. They finally got me at the end of my career. Hats off to them. And then I would have said, Mo, you're, you're, you're among the greatest. 
I do still feel sad. I do think Chalima for a little while still had a chance to win. You know, I just thought that that race just got away from him a little bit. He's a little squirrely, Chris, isn't he? He's some sometimes he can be. Yeah, he wastes energy in a lot of ways. Did you see his move at the start of the race before the race started? I did not. So he did a mo, did the mo, you know, symbol that Idris the did mobot. Yeah. before. Then he put his hand across his throat. He did a knife cut across the throat. So on the starting line, he's saying, I'm coming for Mo, which, of course, for me, I'm like a super fan of that as a fan. <laughs> I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I remember seeing it when I saw it. I was like, oh, wow. But then I'm like, well, as his coach, I'd be like, don't waste that energy. You can't waste that energy. You know, how many other times did he waste his energy? How many times did he, you know, in the prelim, he fell down because he was jackwagoning, you know. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that Chalimo can get it all worked out because I think he can win a global gold here for us soon. Um, I'm hoping he's got the ability to move up maybe to the 10. It would be great to see him in that race as well. So um, I do think we missed an opportunity to see Chalimo win. I wish we had been able to see that, but I gotta, you got to take your hat off to Idris and the Ethiopian crew for getting it done. They finally went, they finally went after him. I agree with you. Mo should have said, I can't believe it took this long yes. for them to try to work together to beat me. And in this case, it worked. I think Chalimo was getting third no matter what. So, yeah, he was a little bit squirrely, but but there were just two better athletes. Yeah. But with Mo Farah out, you know, as he said, he's going to the roads. Then Chalimo should be in the mix for global, you know, global gold at some point in this 5K distance. So we will see. The other name I think we got to mention again here, Schumacher athlete Mo Ahmed got sixth here. You know, really not that far outside of the bronze after having that personal best. 2702 in the 10k so another schumacher athlete showing up again in a very difficult double yeah it was a i think that he had one of the best meets uh best meets of any of the distance runners you know i mean mo obviously did but but for all those doublers coming back in all those different ways he he really got it done and i think he's really young too chris i mean he's only i think 25 or 26 so um it will be very interesting to see him develop over the years and to see what happens with him, um, especially because we know he's going to train and he's going to get the work done. Yep. All right. So that's it. All six events recapped. Now we're already over two hours, Steve, so we don't have a lot to, a lot of time to wrap this, but final impressions from the meet. One of the best track meets I've ever experienced in my life the only way they could make it better is to shorten it from eight day or 10 days or whatever it is into a much tighter realm. I would be nice to see athletes not double quite so much. I'm excited. As I was just talking all that noise about the women's 15 and five, I do think honestly athletes sh should have to choose. I think they should make it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you've seen the 10 K five K doubles from so many athletes. It's, it's easier to make that double than anything else. There's no rounds in the 10. So um, it's like, or they're not done the same way. So there are no rounds in the 10. So, um, ultimately I think it was the greatest track meet, one of the greatest track meets I've ever experienced with all the craziness and all the wildness. Um, I think the IAAF is still showing that they have a lot of things to learn, especially with that men's 400 meter and not allowing the, um, I can't remember the name of the athlete, but the, uh, they're not allowing him to run in the 400 meter prelims. Um, and, and not, then therefore not making the final was egregious. I think the IWF has some things to fix. But my basic impression was what a great track meet. Coronation of American distance running coming out and, and running amazingly well. 
super excited for two more years of training, good focus, getting into some big races, and seeing how our Americans produce over the coming years going into the next world championship cycle in 2019 and into the olympic cycle in 2020 super exciting for american distance running and this meet was a coming out party and it was really exciting to see and for track and field in general u.s had 30 medals most ever in a world champs for the for the americans and also tying the most ever by country matching east german east german hall which we know was boosted by pharmaceuticals back in the day so huge meet top to bottom from distance to sprints. So lots of fun to watch. There there could be more to talk about. We could cover probably another two hours talking about the other events and the and the and the field events, but we're gonna stop it here. Hopefully you enjoyed getting our recap on this world championships. We will close the books on it. Thank you for listening. As always you can check us out on our website, roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.